Well, it's official. The For the first time in recent memory, Thanksgiving is being downsized. Kroger's data science and analytics firm predicts that more than 43% of shoppers will spend this Thanksgiving at home with only members of their immediate family. Even the feast is being downsized. Retailers report that the demand for smaller turkeys has already far outstripped the supply. Grocers have begun to pull full-size turkeys from freezer and refrigerated cases and have started cutting them up into halves and even quarters to satisfy the demand for a smaller Thanksgiving feast. Some families plan to downsize to a chicken, while others are downshifting even further and opting for a Cornish game hen. Fewer people gather around the Thanksgiving table, coupled with a downsized feast, is yet another reminder of what 2020 has come to represent. Against this backdrop, let us purpose in our hearts not to downsize thankfulness. While family and friends may be fewer in the feast of food, far less than in the past, may we feast on thankfulness as never before. We'll be looking at a variety of scripture passages today, but let's look first at a couple of verses out of Colossians having to do with Thanksgiving. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. And in Colossians 3, 14 and 16, we read, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, to be here today and about your word. And uh, as we begin, Lord, I pray that we would not be hearers only, but doers. And Lord, as we consider what your word has for us today, I pray that it would indeed pierce our hearts, that we would abound in thanksgiving, both now and always. I thank you for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful for all that you are, and pray that all that we think and say and do uh, throughout this day and always brings honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So these, this verse in Colossians uh, references abounding in thanksgiving. So what does it mean to abound? It means an abundance. That means to overflow. The Bible speaks of love abounding. It abounds more and more, which suggests that this abounding love or abounding thanksgiving never ends. There's no uh, ending to it. It grows and grows and grows. Let me give you a, an unlikely but personal example of what it means to abound. In our family, we abound in our love 
for pi. Yeah. You see, we don't, we don't care if you're a dog person or a cat person. We want to know if you're a pie person or a cake person. And there's no, there's no being on the fence here. You see, we consider pie to be one of the major food groups. In our family, we believe that being called flaky is a compliment. And to them who don't like pie, we say, let them eat cake. We debate the nuances of crumb crust, of the weave, and of the traditional standard pastry topper. Our children have pushed back on their math instructors who teach that pie are squared, arguing that pie are round. We grow our own raspberries, we grow our own rhubarb, and we still can't believe that George Washington cut down that cherry tree. When it comes to pie, our family believes that the busy corner restaurant in Goodfield, they're just dabbling. We get philosophical about pie. When is it wrong to have pie and ice cream? And when is Cool Whip acceptable as an alternative to whipped cream? Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but we have heated discussions about what pie is the best, which ones we like the most. Now, my dad always puts an end to this argument by firmly stating that there are only two kinds of pie that are any good, hot and cold. We remember the pies of the past, we relish the pies of the present, and we eagerly anticipate the pies of the future. Now, by now, you're likely thinking to yourself, that's really over the top. Yes, it is. And that is exactly what you should be thinking. You see, over the top is what abounding is. Psalm 23 uses the very same imagery as the psalmist declares, my cup overflows. Let's look at five things which inspire us to abound in thanksgiving. You'll note they all start with P. I, they just start with P. Number one, purposeful providence. John Piper has a book forthcoming in the early part of next year entitled Purposeful Providence. It's 750 pages, so clearly John Piper has a lot to say on the providence of God. Let's just scratch the surface today. And before we talk specifically about God's providence, let's be reminded of God's sovereignty. In Job 42, too, Job says this, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Romans 11.36, we read, For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. This idea of God's sovereignty really speaks to his power, his omnipotence. 
the name of God that we see in the book of Job more than any other book in the Bible is the name El Shaddai. El is the name for God. Shaddai denotes power. It is translated often Almighty God or God Almighty. The one who overpowers, the one who overwhelms. It speaks to absolute power. You see, no one and no thing can stand against God's power to do what he wills to do. And while we often hear about God's sovereignty, we, we seldom take that a, a step further and consider what God's providence is. Let's consider a few verses that speak to God's providence. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, we read, I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Ephesians 1, verses, in verse 9, says this, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so we begin to see the power of God, the sovereignty of God, tied to the accomplishment of his purposes. Perhaps the most famous verse in all of Scripture with regards to the providential care and provision of God is found in Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. So here again, this idea of God's purposes is front and center. One of my favorite verses, one that I, I return to often, is, is found in Proverbs 16.9. It says that the heart of man plans his way. You see, we make our plans. We should make our plans. We're called to make our plans and work hard to make our plans a reality. We make those plans, but Proverbs 16.9 says, the Lord establishes or orders our steps. Isn't there great comfort in that? That we make our plans and God orders our steps. I suppose the preeminent example of God's providence, his purposeful providence in the Bible, uh, would be the story of Joseph found in, in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> we all know the story. Joseph, the second youngest of 12 brothers, loved by his fathers, despised by his siblings, who plot to kill him but opt instead uh, to throw him into a pit. And then later, in a blatant act of human trafficking, sell Joseph into slavery in the land of Egypt. It's there that he serves in the house of Potiphar, an officer of, the, of Pharaoh's guard, and, and there he is falsely accused of sexual misconduct, thrown into prison, where he remains for a long time, ends up 
interpreting the dreams of, of two members of Pharaoh's court, one a baker, the other a cupbearer. In the end, the one is executed and the cupbearer is returned to service to Pharaoh. And <clears throat> in that scenario, Joseph has pled with the cupbearer to please make his case to Pharaoh for his his release, but the cupbearer forgets, and Joseph stays in prison for another two years. And only when Pharaoh himself has need for an interpretation of one of his own dreams does Joseph come out of prison and then, to the glory of God, interprets Pharaoh's dream as one of seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, followed by severe years of famine. Pharaoh immediately elevates Joseph to the position of prime minister, second only to himself, and Joseph successfully executes a plan that manages the years of plenty and then manages the years of severe famine that follow. In all of this, God is working to accomplish his purpose. If you look at it on its face, it's everything that could go wrong in Joseph's life was going wrong. But later, as his family is brought to Egypt and Joseph re reveals himself and his identity to his brothers, now not as their little brother Joseph, but as now the prime minister of Egypt, the verse that encapsulates the providential nature of God is found in Genesis 50, verse 20, as Joseph says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That is the purposeful providence of God, and it is active in our lives today. Elohim is another name for God, and it connotes sustainer. God is the sustainer of the universe, the creator. He is sovereign. He is also the sustainer. And in that role, God orchestrates all things in accordance with his good and perfect will in order to accomplish his purpose. So the question is, what are God's purposes? In summary, God's purpose is our good, your good, and mine. Our good and His glory. This Thanksgiving, I encourage you to recall a time in your life that your plans had, had gone completely awry. Something that you had dreamed of, worked toward, envisioned, and it all came crashing in. It all came crashing down. And at the time, you very likely thought, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. It's the worst thing that could have happened for me, for my family, for my career. Perhaps it was a relationship, a job, a career. And now, some years later, perhaps decades later, you look back at that event, that life-changing event, and you see that it wasn't the worst thing. That ever happened. In fact, it was one of the best things. In recalling that, we are mindful of God's purposeful 
provision in our lives, aimed at our good and His glory. So the question is, why, why can't we see God's purposeful providence more clearly? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 tells us that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. Corey Tinboom wrote a very famous poem called The Master Weaver's Plan. And she often used an illustration of a tapestry, a tapestry of a crown. And she remarked that we only see the underside of what God is weaving together. So while we see this, God sees this. Someday, we will see from above, and we will marvel at His purposeful providence in our lives. Number two is personal provision. The word provision is closely related to this word providence. The pro, the Latin pro, means before. And videre, provid, or provide, videre is a Latin word meaning to see. It's the word from which we derive video. So provision really means to see before. God sees and knows our every need, even before we either recognize our own need or even ask. Matthew 6, 8 says that he knows before we even ask. This seeing beforehand is really expressed often as, as people say things like, I'll see to it. They recognize a need, they respond to a request, and they say, I'll see to it. It's very much tied up with this word of provision, which leads us to another name for God that we, we are told about in Genesis 22:14. 14. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means God will provide. The story of Abraham and Isaac is evidence of God's daily provision as God provided the ram for the sacrifice and from which we learn of this name of God, this place, God will provide. Provisions are often understood as basics. Provisions are different than gifts. Uh, provisions denote necessities, uh, needs. So th that's why at Christmas as kids, you know, if you, if you get underwear for Christmas, yeah, it's just disappointing, right? It's, it's because that's a, that's a provision. That's a necessity. That's a need. But it's not a gift. Now, food and clothing and shelter, these things are, are basic. And we're told in 1 Timothy 6, 8, that if we have food and clothing, with these 
we will be content. And in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, we're, we're told that we need not worry nor be anxious about what we will eat or what we will wear. God will supply every need of yours and mine, Philippians 4.19 tells us, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's provision is personal, it's intimate, and it inspires us to abound in thanksgiving. Recall a time when God met your need, when God was your provider, and that will bring honor and glory to his name. Third, his perfect peace. You know, peace is one of the great blessings that God gives those who follow him. Jesus tells us in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus Christ himself guides our feet into the path of peace. We talked about the names of God. There are also titles that are given throughout the Bible. One that is truly uh, relates here is the title that Isaiah gives to Christ, the Prince of Peace. And of course, it is a peace that surpasses understanding. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, we read, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that that peace of Christ is, is tied to this thankful heart? Are you at peace? Do you experience the peace of Christ? Do you abound in thanksgiving for God's purposeful providence? Do you recognize and experience God's providence in your life? Do you have doubts about God's sovereignty? If you do, then these next two points are especially for you. Because number four is feasting on thankfulness for God's preeminent gift, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, God created us to be with him. He, he created us for relationship. But our sin separates us from God, from a holy God, from a sovereign, omnipotent God. We're born sinners, and we've all sinned and fall short of his glory. Perhaps the single biggest obstacle to salvation is a belief that sin can be removed by our good deeds. We can't please God through our own efforts. We are saved from our sin by grace through faith, not by works. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, so that none of us can boast. 
My prayer this morning is, is there is no one, listening, who is counting on their own righteousness to make them acceptable to God. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the, in Christ, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Life eternal, eternally in the presence of God. That is his preeminent gift. Number five, the promise of heaven. For those who are in Christ, we have the promise of a redeemed soul to depart this life is to be with Christ. And those perfected souls will be representative of perfect relationships, eternal companionship that's more perfect than anything we could possibly experience or even imagine on this earth. In heaven there will be a great reunion. All of our brothers and sisters in Christ will be assembled there It'll be a place of unending joy. But it is only available. This promise of heaven is only available to those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. He paid the price for our sin. He died and he rose again. First Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This salvation is offered freely to all who believe. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. The promise of heaven for those who are in Christ. You know, there's a tendency for us to hold tightly to this world. It's all we know. Our dearest relationships are here. But I assure you, heaven will be home like no place on earth. The Father is there. Jesus himself is at the Father's right hand. Our citizenship is there. It's where we belong. As we consider the blessed hope that is heaven, that awaits all of us who are in Christ, we consider this. It's precious. And our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Romans 8, 18. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us in heaven. Our names are recorded there. It is our inheritance. Our reward is there. And truly, our real wealth is there. As we close, 
what is hindering you from abounding in thanksgiving? What is keeping you from truly feasting on thankfulness? Not just this week, but always. I want to encourage you. Expand the list. Expand your feast still further. Consider God's sovereignty, His purposeful and personal providence in your life, His provision, His peace, His preeminent gift and the promise of heaven, but go further. They don't have to start with P, but you might try that. How about the privilege of prayer? Not just the promise of heaven, but the multitude of promises of God that He always is faithful to keep. His powerful protection. My prayer for all of us today is that we would abound in thanksgiving. That we would feast on the knowledge and assurance of God's good and His glory. The assurance that God is good. It is His nature to be good. He is good in Himself, of Himself, by Himself. And in His goodness, He seeks our good. And ultimately, and always, His glory. Consider His personal provision. His perfect peace, the preeminent gift, and the promise of heaven, our blessed hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. We are both mindful and grateful for your personal provision and powerful protection in our lives. May we rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances as we live out your will for us in Christ. And may the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, so too may we be thankful. And may our thankfulness abound as it overflows from our hearts for your matchless gift of grace given us through Christ Jesus. Father, restore and renew the joy of our salvation as we eagerly anticipate your return and the glory of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and your families as you abound in thanksgiving, this week and always.